Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Yesterday, I saw the weirdest thing, this um, giant ball of fire in the sky, and it came back today. Kind of digging it. Pretty exciting. I'm glad you guys are here, um, and especially if you're a guest, I'm glad you're with us. So, um, so we're, in this, we're in this series called uh, Free Indeed. Jesus once said to a large group of people, if the sun sets you free, you will be free in, indeed. But what did he mean by that exactly? And what did Jesus promise to set people free from? And uh, as I said last week, you know, there, there are a number of ways to answer that question. In fact, last Sunday we talked about being free from guilt because we all know, as the Apostle Paul put it, there is now no condemnation. Literally, there is no judgment coming down. That's what the word means. No judgment coming down on those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you missed that last week, you can go on online and listen. But this morning, I want to I suggest that another aspect of the freedom Jesus spoke of has to do with prejudice. You know, few issues trouble our world today as persistently as the conflict that exists between different races and cultures. From the violence of tribal strife in Syria to the nearby Israeli-Palestinian conflict to issues of discrimination in U.S. corporations to tension in our cities, division in our families, and even the segregation of our churches, uh, the issue of prejudice is one of the most fundamental social and spiritual evils of our day. Uh, the twisted ideology of racial, ethnic superiority is prime example and evidence of humanity's brokenness and has throughout history been the driving force of war, social injustice, demagoguery, and dictatorships. I mean, the term prejudice itself is just an ugly word. So is racism, bigotry, chauvinism, nationalism. And yet all these describe how our world tends to think and behave. Every day, hate and prejudice is, of man against man is played out not only, not only around the globe, but within our own communities. Every, every night, acts of discrimination and injustice are detailed, detailed on the evening news. And unless you turn off your TVs, your radios, uh, close down social media, cancel your Twitter accounts, and never read a newspaper again, there's, there's just no way of escaping the, the tragic reality of it all. In fact, according to a recent poll done just last year, 2016 national survey done by the Barna Group, a leading research firm out of Ventura, California, According to that survey, 84% of Americans, and this is across the board, in other words, it didn't ma no matter what the age, region of the, uh, the country people lived in, their ethnicity, socioeconomic status, or faith, 84% of Americans agree that an, a lot of anger and hostility exists between ethnic and racial groups in this country, and it's a serious problem. And with all due respect, I would propose that the other 16% of Americans who don't see it that way are either blind or living in denial because acts and attitudes of prejudice are everywhere. And experts agree for any meaningful and lasting racial and or class reconciliation to occur within our culture, it's gonna require a transformation of a major sort for uh, um, the American public. So my question is, is that transformation, can such a transformation take place? Can people break through the walls of, of, of the prejudice and, and hate dividing our nation and begin to accept others despite racial, cultural, socioeconomic differences? And my answer to that is yes, but let me qualify that by saying I am not an expert on matters of racial and or cultural reconciliation. And I realize, like many of you do, there are no simple answers to such complex problems. 
So television has uh, programmed us to think in terms of 60-minute storylines, you know, where problems are presented at 8.05 p.m. and resolved cleanly by 9. But that's not how the world works. You know it and I know it. The world's a very messy place filled with imperfect people like me. So I'm not going to stand up here and spew out a bunch of pat answers or cliches. I don't have a list of do's and don'ts to offer. I didn't bring a catalog of procedures for us to follow that will quickly cure the world of prejudice and all of its forms. In fact, the more I've thought about the issue, the more convinced I've become that any hope we have of overcoming this kind of evil rests, first of all, not in procedures, but in perspective. You know, as human, as human beings, our view of the world and of one another gets so distorted by, by, by things like greed, and envy, fear, deceit, selfishness, uh, jealousy, and pride. And so it's only when we gain a new vantage point, you know, a perspective free of those things, only then can we hope to find the answers that we're looking to. Let me put it this way. We need to begin seeing the world and everyone in it from God's perspective. In my opinion, the Apostle Paul had a pretty profound understanding of God's perspective. In a letter he wrote to, the, uh, to Christians living in Rome, uh, he talked to, talked to them about relationships in the church, and he says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In another letter he wrote to Christians struggling with attitudes of discrimination and prejudice, he said a very similar thing. He said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now again, I'm not an expert on, on any of this, but as I was reading Paul's statements and thinking through them more, I realized that the, the evil blur of hate and prejudice will only begin to clear when we do in fact see the world from God's perspective. So what is that perspective? What does God see exactly? Well, first and foremost, God sees prejudice as sin. Now, what is prejudice? Uh, the word itself comes from two Latin terms meaning to prejudge. And the kind of prejudging that I'm talking about this morning refers to the irrational intolerance of and hostility toward members of a certain group of people based on their race, their nationality, their culture, or their socioeconomic status. And the belief that any of those things makes one people group inferior or superior to another is just wrong. And to berate, to mistreat, to oppress, or to show preference to someone because of those belief, that belief is nothing short of evil. What causes this kind of prejudice? Well, there are a lot of different theories on that. You know, some suggest ignorance is the primary culprit, and uh, certainly ignorance plays a role in the, in the sense that it creates a, a breeding ground for prejudice and hate. Others suggest fear is the, uh, is the root cause. In fact, fear often comes as a result of ignorance. You know, fear of the unfamiliar, fear of exclusion, fear of being left out, fear of being left behind, fear of being overwhelmed, fear of being uh, controlled, uh, oppressed. All that leads to xenophobia or the fear of people who are different. And so while it's true both ignorance and fear play a role in our prejudice, and differences in race, language, and culture are often the triggers for irritations and misunderstandings. These are not the root cause of conflict and hatred that we see. Sin is the cause. Sin expressed through the arrogant, self-centered nature of human beings. And it's inherent to all of us. I mean, keep in mind, when Paul wrote Christians in Rome, he explained to them the spiritual condition of humanity. Right? He said, there's no difference between the races. 
There's no difference between Jew or Gentile. Why? Because all of us as human beings, as I said, we are all so deeply broken. We're, so, we're, we're all sinful. We all, fall, we all fall short of God's, his holiness, his perfection. Throughout Scripture, the message, in my opinion, is quite clear that prejudice is not a cultural issue. It's not a, cult, a color issue. It is a sin issue, and it's universal. A couple months ago, I was in Israel, Palestine, and I had the chance to visit um, Hebron. Hebron is a Palestinian city in the West Bank, uh, just south of Bethlehem, and uh, not a lot of people go to Hebron these days because there's so much tension there. Uh, and when we were there, you could just you could cut it with a knife. And we were walking through the street, and you could just sense the hostility, and and really the danger there. Um, primarily, the tension exists between the Palestinians of the city and Israeli settlers. And uh, part of that tension can be tra- traced back to 1994, when a single gunman, a single gunman, a, a radical Israeli settler illegally entered that Palestinian city in the West Bank and murdered 40 Palestinian citizens in cold blood. Following that disgusting act of violence, former Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin offered this conclusion. He said, a single straight line connects the lunatics and racists of the entire world. And he was right. Do you know what that line is? It's the line of sin. And I assure you, it runs beyond mere lunatics and racists. It extends into the heart and soul of every single person who's ever walked the face of this earth. It is true. I have two children. They're grown now, but when they were little, man, I never had to teach them to argue and fight. They did it really well, you know, because it was inherent to their, their kind of their self-centered nature, and they were, they were really good at it. And I remember thinking, seeing them arguing as brothers and sisters and, and thinking, you know, we all have deep within us the potential to act in the most hostile of ways to those we love, let alone those who are different. But understand, our differences, the color of our skin, the sound of our language, the style of our dress, are not subject to our moral judgment. Neither is cultural behavior, unless that behavior clearly violates what God, the only true judge, says is right, good, safe, healthy, and best for us as human beings. So let's not, let's not dance around it. Let's not um, kid ourselves. Prejudice is sin. Whether it, whether it rears its ugly head in the form of violence in the street or dim, dis, uh, discrimination in the workplace or if it uh, shows up in more subtle ways, a slur at a professional baseball game, a condescending glance, uh, a whispered comment, an inappropriate, inappropriate joke, a distasteful tweet. God sees all of it and he sees all of it as all prejudice as sin. Why? Well, because God sees all humanity as divinely created. That's why with each of us, every single one of us, no exceptions. And this truth also permeates the pages of Scripture, Old and New Testament. David, for example, in the Old Testament, so beautifully affirms this reality in the Psalms, writing, Lord, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. What was true of David was true of all of us. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, what you look like, walk like, talk like, makes no difference. Every single human being is divinely created, uniquely formed and shaped into being by the artistic hands of an omnipotent and loving God. And when God looks around at our world, 
That's what he sees. He sees men and women created by him and created in his image. You know, in the poetic language of Genesis 1, we're told God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does it mean to be an image bearer, if you will? Uh, How are we like God? Well, for one, for one, uh, that likeness is reflected in that we're created uh, with a spiritual nature. Um, also, God has given all of us uh, intellectual, mental capabilities, the ability to reason, the ability to create technical, intricate, beautiful things. Like himself, God's given us a moral awareness, uh, a deep-seated sense of right and wrong. He's instilled within each of us the need to love and be loved, He's created us as social beings. We need, uh, we need him and we need each other. And listen, in each of those ways, we all, we all bear what theologians refer to as the imago Dei, the image of God himself. And although that image is marred by sinful rebellion, make no mistake, it has, it has not been lost. God's image remains universally intact, reflected in every man, woman, and child. Which means why? Which means you can go to any corner of the earth, to any nation, first world, second world, third world, makes no difference, to any alleyway or jungle, palace or slum, city or suburb, condominium or refugee camp, and choose any one person or one people group, and without exception, they will, in their very humanness, be a reflection of their creator. For he's created all of us in his image, equal in status, equal in value before him. Which is, why, which is why God went to Abraham and he said to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation through which all the peoples, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. It's why when Moses married a black African woman in Numbers 12, God not only, only approved of the relationship, but he rebuked the prejudice of those who spoke against it. In the New Testament, the, the apostle Peter, you know, he carried around his own prejudices, specifically against Gentiles. And so suddenly, one night he has this vision through which God makes it very clear to him that hate and racism is wrong. Peter's response, he said this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what what is right. You know the message, the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John describes heaven as what? As a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne of God, worshiping together in peace. Doesn't that sound good? Isn't that what we want? And yet, so often, as James puts it in the New Testament, with the tongue we bless, we bless our Lord and Father, and then with it we turn and curse human beings who are made in his likeness. And it's wrong for it dismisses the value of God's creative work. When God looks at the world, he, he sees his image bearers. And not only that, he, he sees the beautiful diversity with which he's created them. How misguided it is for us to ever think that our ethnic or cultural differences as human beings is a fluke or in, in some way wrong or a bad thing. You know, our sinfulness has so, you know, it has so corrupted uh, our concept of, of diversity, that we often equate diversity with division. 
but from God's vantage point, diversity does not equal division, nor does unity mean or demand uniformity. I mean, God wouldn't be much of a God if his creation lacked uniqueness and diversity, would it? I mean, if we all looked the same, walked the same, talked like the same things, how impressed would you be with a God like that? How impressed would you be, would be with God if all of you had to look and act like me? That's troubling thought right there, right? <laughs> no one wants that. Now understand, our diversity as human beings does not imply inferiority or superiority of any one person over another. What it does ex express is the wondrous creativity of God. I think even about our differences in the context of the church. I mean, you realize, right, that it's our God-given diversity that makes the church so effective. You know, so often, the imagery of the body with its different parts and functions are used, it's used in Scripture as a metaphor for God's people with each and every part equally valuable, equally necessary to the healthy functioning of that body. So what am I saying? I'm saying that as Christians, we should be the first to proclaim and celebrate diversity in the world and in the church as a wonderful gift of God. We should also be the first to acknowledge that all of humanity is created as the center of God's intentional love. Right? Isn't that true? For God so loved who? The world. For God so loved the world. People of every color, every culture, every race, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That offer is universal. And let me tell you something. When we stand before God someday, and each of us will, he's not going to look at the color of our skin or ask our, ask our nationality or discuss our dis cultural distinctives, or question our denominational affiliations. The only question is this. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you embraced my offer of grace? I mean, let's never lose sight of this, sight of the reality that the love and the grace, the forgiveness of God is offered equally to all people. In light of that, <laughs> how can prejudice against anyone stand. It can't. Because the gospel frees us from prejudice, demolishing any and all barriers we try to erect. And ultimately, God sees Jesus as the peacemaker. Listen, it's no, look, it's no secret that prejudice and racial tensions both around the world and here at home are very high. Uh, the rhetoric of fear and hatred has become the common language of the day. And many would have thought, you know, many would have thought that surely by the time we get well into the 21st century, surely uh, with such enlightened, sophisticated, technological, advanced human beings as ourselves would be able to handle the basic discipline of getting along with one another for the common good. But it's not the case, is it? Cultural and racial conflicts, wars and riots span the globe. And this must come as a it's a frustrating reality to secular academics who, for the last 200 years or so, uh, have held to the Enlightenment philosophy that says, with more money and better programs and higher education, stricter policies added legislation, we can cure all of it. We can cure poverty. We can cure crime and hate and racism. We can cure all of it, all of, all of, human, all of our human ills. We can do it. B.F. Skinner, the famed behavioral scientist from Harvard University, 
during his life and career held those same beliefs. But in 1981, shortly before his death, he shocked, I mean shocked the academic world. After doing an interview with him, the New York Times published this headline, B.F. Skinner now sees little hope for the world's salvation. And then they quoted him as saying, I have lost my optimism for the future. The world is fatally ill. It's a very depressing way to end one's life. How sad. Secular answers alone to the problems of our world fail because they don't address the core issue, which is spiritual in nature. It's a sin issue, and that issue, that issue isn't just out there. It's right here in each of us. Prejudice is one of the evils sin produces and fuels. And the only true answer to that, that hate, that violence, that racism that we see in the world is not philosophies, it's not programs or policies. The answer is found in a person, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The Apostle Paul said, Jesus himself is our peace. He's destroyed the barrier. God, through the cross, put to death hostility. In other words, Jesus not only offers peace in our relationships with God, but peace with our relationships with each other. You know, prejudice attempts to limit the extent of God's love, but his love cannot and will not be limited. In Christ, it extends beyond the ugly barrier of our bigotry. It stretches beyond ethnicity and race, beyond the pigment of one's skin or the shape of one's eyes. And it's the same unconditional love which must compel us as Christians in the church to step out of our sanctuaries and out of our comfort zones and begin building broken relationships across racial and cultural barriers. Sometimes that means flying across vast oceans, but more often than not, it just means walking across the street to the person, to the family who is different from you and to love them because God loves them. I like how Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once put it. Hatred, he said, paralyzes life, but love releases it. Hatred confuses life, love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life, love illuminates it. You want to hear something really fascinating? That survey, survey I mentioned earlier by the Barna Group, where 84% of Americans agree that the hostilities of race and culture in our country is, is a serious problem, that same study, done just last year, that same study also found that three-quarters of Americans, nearly 70, 73% to be exact, agree that Christian churches play an important role in any hope for racial reconciliation. Christian churches, meaning what? Meaning the majority of our own culture is looking to Christians, looking to us and the church to lead the way and being peacemakers, just like Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty big deal to me. I, maybe it's just me, but that statistic floored me. That's a big deal. So how would you say we're doing with that? What is the culture seeing from the church? Are we leading the way to peace and reconciliation by indiscriminately loving all people? Are we really doing anything to disrupt the status quo of hateful prejudice? Are we? In his book, Renaissance, The Power of the Gospel, However Dark the Times, one of my favorite books over the last five years. In fact, we have some available if you're interested. But he, doesn't, he pulls no punches in that book. 
Os Guinness, he's a Christian author and thinker, and he discusses in the book many of the issues, the complexities, and the challenges facing the Western church moving into the future. And when it comes to, to issues of prejudice, he says this, all too often we've gloried in the racial and ethnic diversity of the church around the world, but remain content to be enclaves of separateness here at home. Too often we've abandoned our Lord's concern for those in the shadows, the twilight, and the deep darkness of the world and become cheerleaders for those in power and the naive sycophants of the powerful and the rich. He goes on to say that if we have any hope of influencing our culture, he said, then above all, we must remind ourselves that if we would recommend the good news of Jesus to others, we must first be shaped by the good news ourselves. Is it shaping us? Is it transforming our thinking? Is it changing our behavior? This past week, as a church, we invited some of our Muslim neighbors to join us on May 28th, Everybody Does Sunday, in going out and serving the community. Will they come? I know two will, because they've signed up. Will others join them? I don't know. Is that an outrageous thing to do? Maybe so. But somebody, somebody in the name of Jesus has got to stand up and muster the courage to take a stand and disrupt the status quo of fear, hate, resentment, and prejudice that exists in our world, in our country, and yes, even in DuPage County. Somebody's got to do it. And more than anybody else, we, we in the church should know that as human beings, no one is better or superior to anyone else. When will that reality move in, in, in the church, move in people's minds from our heads to our hearts, and when would it push us out the door to love the world around us? Because until it does, until we truly understand and experience the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus, we will keep dividing the world. We will. We'll keep doing it. We'll keep looking at those who are different from us, and, and with a, maybe with a twinge of fear and a sense of superiority, say, oh, those people. Look at those people. Those people of different color those people of different race, those people of different cultures, of classes, different religions, different political persuasions. The, look at those less educated people. Look at those people. Don't you see the gospel? The, the gospel destroys that kind of thinking. It, it destroys those kinds of feelings because it humbles you. And it breaks your heart. And ultimately, it frees you from the prejudice from prejudice of any kind because, because it says all of us are in need of God's, God's love and God's grace and his rescue. All of us. And Jesus came preaching and providing all of those things for everybody. For God so loved the world. So what do we do? That's the big question. I think the first thing we need to do is open our eyes not just to see the problems of fear, hate, prejudice, and racism in our world, but to see them in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own lives, and to be honest about it, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with God about the prejudging that we do to, of people simply because they're different from us. And we need to confess that because it's wrong. We need to ask forgiveness because, because it's a barrier to the gospel, and frankly, it's offensive to the one who created all of us in his image. It's offensive. And let's face it, the only true remedy to this evil of prejudice is distinctly Christian. 
I know that. I think you know that. And apparently, the majority of this country knows it. And so an awful lot of people are putting their hope in the Christian church, in us, <laughs> to see what we're going to do. They're looking for us to lead. Will we? Well, I'll tell you this, in order to lead, we must live more and more freely, like Jesus. Free to love each other, and free to love everyone and anyone else in the world and in the community around us. May God give us the courage to do so. Let's pray. Our Father, I'm the first to confess that when I look into my own heart and mind, uh, there is some darkness there. There's, some, there's a lot of brokenness that remains. And it's so easy for us as human beings um, to look at others and prejudge. Perhaps it's a way of making us feel better about ourselves. Um, I, I don't fully understand it, but it is part of our human nature. It's part of the brokenness of who we are. And we need, we need your help. We need, we need your forgiveness for it. We need your help to, to get beyond those prejudices that we hold, those biases, the hate, the racism, all of it. We need, we need your help. And we recognize this, this morning that clearly, clearly a majority of our culture is looking to the church to lead the way to peace and love and hope. For in Jesus, there is hope, the only hope there really is for our world. And in him, he brings light into the darkness and he restores relationships and he brings peace to all of us. And so I, I, I ask Holy Spirit that in the next couple of moments of quiet, you would give each of us the courage to look in our own lives and help us identify where prejudice exists. What form does it take? Who are we prejudiced against? Why is that true? And then forgive us for it. And empower us to move beyond it. For the sake of those you love, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus, for the sake of our world, help us to move beyond it. Not always easy to uh, look at our hearts because sometimes we don't like what we see. But, you know, unless we're honest about it, transformation can't take place. God can't work with dishonesty, but it, when we, when we, sh when we deal with our sin openly, God can heal it. He can transform our hearts and our lives. And that's what our world needs. That statistic from last year that nearly three-quarters of Americans are looking to the church, to the Christian church, to help bring healing and peace and reconciliation to our country, that blew me away. Do you realize the significance of that? We talk about how the culture is becoming increasingly secular. And true, it's, that's true in many ways. And yet, a lot of people are looking for the church to lead. Will we do it? That's the question. Or will we just stay and do our own little religious programming and, and stay cloistered, you know, in our little shells and just hang out with people who look like, our, like us and think like us and, 
you know, all that? Or will we step out and disrupt the status quo of hate and fear and prejudice? That's the question. And, uh, you know, for me, I think the church, I mean, it, it, it's why we're here. So I, I want you to know that I'm committed to that. Our staff, our leaders are committed to it. I believe the majority of our people are committed to it. And we're going to do the best that we can to love people in this community, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what they believe. We're going to love them because God loves them. For God to love the world, not just me. So I hope you'll join me in that, that adventure. I hope you sign up for the 28th and go out with us. We're going to serve the community. You're going to be doing stuff in parks and all kinds of stuff. And some of our Muslim friends may join us. Wouldn't that be cool? Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. So uh, anyway, thanks for being here this morning. And I, I don't know, maybe you're here and you've been, you've been on the receiving end of prejudice. And, and it's just really broken you. And you need someone to talk to. So our prayer team members are down here in the front. They'll, you can talk with them. They'll pray with you. Or maybe you, you've been the one dishing out those things. And you want to talk to somebody. Have them pray for you as well. Whatever the need might be, they're there for you. Okay? Come back next week. We're going to continue to look at what this freedom Jesus spoke of, what this freedom entails, how it impacts our lives in real ways today. So uh, I hope you can join us. Let me pray for us, and then we're dismissed. And now, Lord, I, I pray that we wouldn't just sing about your love and your love for the world, your love for us, that we wouldn't just sing about how you bring light into the darkness, but I pray that as we leave this place, you would use us as light bearers, as we love those who are different from us, rather than avoid them, but engage. Love them because you love them. I pray that we would do that, for you have called your church to it, and the world is watching. So now may your hand of courage and peace and strength rest on your people as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.